This week, Malakrat judge mulls over whether Akhtar insurer claims get administrative priority, and Narco accuses Honeywell of trying to evade asbestos trust funding obligations. Hello and welcome to the Reorg Podcast, where we bring the latest developments in high yield distress debt and bankruptcy. I'm David Zubkis. Julian Ballon will be joining me for the week in review. Also this week, lean litigation in Sanchez determined allocations for 80% of reorganized equity, and Judge Sanchez dismisses royalty suit and extraction of oil and gas cases. For this week's deep dive, Jeff Brenner from Reorg's Covenants team and Julian discuss how the Chinese government's proposed revisions to Macau's gaming laws could potentially trigger defaults and cause other problems under the debt talks of U.S.-based gaming companies operating out of Macau. It's Friday, September 24th. trust established to pay asbestos personal injury claims in the North American Refractories Chapter 11 case is accusing Honeywell International of improperly trying to escape its obligation to fund the trust. In an adversary complaint filed Monday, the Narco Trust alleges a multifaceted, multi-year scheme by Honeywell that includes litigation threats and secretly negotiated side deal settlements with asbestos claimants' law firms outside of the trust structure. The trust alleges that Honeywell committed to perpetually fund the trust with up to $150 million per year to cover Honeywell's approximately $2.3 billion in total liability that Honeywell's own expert projected during Narco's bankruptcy proceedings. According to the trust, Honeywell provided the initial trust funding in 2013, but then avoided making any such annual payments until the second half of 2019, when it made a $28.9 million payment. In December 2020, Honeywell proposed a buyout agreement to settle all of its obligations to the trust for approximately $500 million. The trust rejected that offer, and Honeywell threatened to sue, prompting the trust to sue first. On Tuesday, Honeywell sued the trust, alleging that it has squandered its assets, paid claimants who have not demonstrated the requisite exposure to Narcos asbestos products, and repeatedly breached the trust agreements and trust distribution procedures. Specifically, Honeywell says the trust has failed to follow strict requirements meant to ensure that claimants establish their claim is valid. After hearing oral arguments on Wednesday, Judge John Dorsey took under advisement the Malincrot debtor's motion for partial summary judgment seeking the disallowance of the contested administrative claims asserted by Akhtar Insurance claimants Humana and Atestor. The dispute centers on whether the insurer's claims for post-petition Akhtar purchases at allegedly inflated prices legally arise from post-petition conduct, in which case they may be entitled to administrative expense priority and full payment at confirmation, or pre-petition conduct, in which case they would be discharged as general unsecured claims under the debtor's proposed plan. The debtors have suggested that allowance of the claims as administrative expenses could scuttle the plan by increasing the cash needed to emerge and undermining their financial projections, which rely on continued pricing of Akhtar at or near current levels after emergence. The Akhtar insurance claimants appear to be doubling down on their bet that their asserted claims will be allowed, following a notice late Tuesday that they have acquired Aetna's Akhtar claims. The filing states that Aetna purchased more than $1.22 billion worth of Akhtar from January 1, 2010 through January 30, 2021, including $57 million after the petition date. Judge Dorsey appeared to be troubled by the policy implications of treating the debtors as completely cut off, as he described it, from the anti-competitive conduct of pre-bankruptcy Malincrot, saying that, quote, it sounds like what you're saying is the company can create a monopoly, charge super competitive prices as a result, and then file for Chapter 11 and say, that's not us, while continuing to charge an inflated price. 
Judge Dorsey said that he had been unable to find a case directly analogous to this one, where the company engaged in allegedly anti-competitive behavior before the bankruptcy filing, but continued settling, selling the product at inflated prices during the bankruptcy. The judge appeared to be weighing whether Malingrad is actively maintaining a monopoly during the Chapter 11 cases by selling Akthar gel at high prices and whether anti-competitive conduct was the basis for the post-petition price of Akthar. On Monday afternoon, Judge Christopher Sanchi dismissed an adversary complaint for unpaid royalties brought by oil and gas lessors in the extraction oil and gas cases, finding that Colorado law and its administrative exhaustion requirements apply but have not been satisfied by the claimants. Judge Sanchi concluded that the bankruptcy court lacked jurisdiction because the matter had not been raised and adjudicated via the Colorado administrative process. The decision is at odds with prior rulings sidestepping state law administrative exhaustion requirements to resolve disputes that are central to a bankruptcy case. It may also provide additional leverage to oil and gas debtors, which routinely face disputes with royalty claimants during bankruptcy. The Colorado resident plaintiffs alleged over $2 million in underpayments for extraction sale of oil and gas from the leased properties at below market prices. However, Colorado law provides that the Colorado Oil and Gas Conservation Commission has jurisdiction to determine the amount of proceeds plus interest, if any, due a payee by a payer for the sale of oil and gas produced at Colorado Wells. The royalty claimants argued that the Colorado administrative procedure does not apply because only the bankruptcy court could adjudicate the dispute. Specifically, the claimants assert that the suit requires a determination of what is and what is not a state property. Judge Sanchi disagreed, finding that the complaint largely implicates Colorado state law rights and that the mere filing of a bankruptcy does not automatically bring those claims within the subject matter jurisdiction of the bankruptcy court. Phase three of the Sanchez Energy, now known as Mesquite Energy, lien-related litigation to determine the allocation of 80% of reorganized equity has resumed following contested later discontinued appeals of the bankruptcy court's March phase two ruling by the ad hoc group of secured note holders that funded the dip in an unsuccessful mediation concluded in July. Phase three focuses on the valuation of any assets still subject to challenge by the unsecured credit representative. The court also has yet to allocate the 80% of reorganized equity that was held back among class three dip claims, class four secured notes claims, and Class 5 general unsecured claims. In their initial Phase 3 pleadings, the two sides each take the position that they are entitled to all of the disputed equity allocation. The unsecured credit representative argues that unsecured creditors are entitled to the entirety of 80% of reorganized equity at issue in the litigation. Conversely, the ad hoc group says that DIP claims are entitled to 100% of the remaining equity. Phase 1 addressed DIP order interpretation issues. Phase 2 addressed the unsecured creditors' challenge to purportedly improperly infected liens on gas leases, the largest source of potential value. Significantly, the DIP lenders argue that even if the credit representative were to successfully avoid the secured note holders' prepetition liens on the three remaining oil and gas leases subject to challenge, there would be nothing to return to the estate because the secured note holders' liens on the leases, along with the rest of the notes' prepetition collateral, were primed by the perfected and unavoidable liens of the DIP lenders, whose DIP claims are impaired based on the $85 million enterprise value stipulated by the parties at confirmation. A hearing on Phase 3 has been scheduled for January 25, 2022. Top red stories this week included New Jersey judge denies J&J Texas two-step injunction sought by tout claimants, citing speculative reliance on news reports and conjecture. Latest bipartisan bankruptcy venue reform bill adds six co-sponsors. The oversight problem and possible solutions, a jury trial in Toys R Us and structured dismissal versus conversion in Forever 21. GTT complete sale of infrastructure division to I-squared Capital for $1.74 billion in cash, use of proceeds to repay priming facility credit agreement. Now here's Jim from Houston with the week ahead. 
Good morning from Houston and welcome to the week ahead. Tuesday, September 28th, Hertz Global Holdings is back with the U.S. Bank liquidated damages motion and omnibus hearing. Wednesday, September 29th, oral arguments in Citibank versus Brigade in the Revlon matter and an examiner motion and continued discovery in Intelsat. Thursday, September 30th, earnings from Bed Bath & Beyond and a DS and confirmation hearing in Katera, along with a hearing in California versus Purdue Pharma. And Friday, October 1st, stalking horse hearing in Alpha Holding. And that's it. Back to New York. And next up, Jeff Brenner from York's Covenants team and Julian discuss how the Chinese government's proposed revisions to Macau's gaming laws could potentially trigger defaults and cause other problems with the debt docks of U.S.-based gaming companies operating out of Macau. Hello, everyone. I'm Julian Boulaun, a member of Reorg's America's Covenants team. And today I'm joined by my colleague, Jeff Brenner, also a member of the Covenants team, who recently published a very interesting analysis of how recently proposed changes to Macau's gaming laws may cause issues under the debt documents of certain U.S.-based gaming companies who have a significant presence in China. On Tuesday, September 14th, officials in Macau said they would begin a 45-day public consultation period to discuss legal revisions to the region's gambling regulations. Topics under consideration included how many licenses would be allowed, how long their terms would be, and what level of government supervision over license holders would be required. The licenses held by casinos currently operating in Macau expire next June, and while the necessity for renewals was expected, the potential regulatory changes came as a surprise to most. So Jeff, you've been covering the casino and gaming industry for Covenants for a while now, why don't you start by telling us why these developments in Macau are such a big deal and which operators that you cover are most likely to be affected? Sure. Uh, hi, Julian. Hi, everyone. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a sense that the um, motivation behind these potential changes are attempts by the Chinese government to, uh, to basically prevent Chinese money from moving out of China, generally the people who are gambling at the casinos in Macau are Chinese citizens, um, but three of the big six operators are, um, are majority held by U.S. companies. And so, uh, you know, when these Macau operators dividend cash up to, to their U.S. parents, you know, there's money going out of China. So the, the six big operators are Win, MGM, Sands, those are the U.S. operators, and then there's Melco, Galaxy, and SJM. And uh, for our purposes, we focused on the U.S. operators. Um, and, and so, you know, because there's this focus on the on the U.S., um, other possible changes that, that that could be problematic is, you know, could be requirements to de decrease the amount of U.S. ownership or limitations on dividends. And I mean, this stuff is important from a business perspective. I mean, uh, apparently somewhere around $20 billion worth of market cap disappeared when these announcements were made. Um, but, you know, there's also issues potentially under these companies' debt documents where, you know, if either they are not able to renew their licenses or if there are other regulatory changes that have, you know, effects on the way the companies do business, uh, it could trigger problems under either their credit agreements or under their notes and dentures. 
Right. Okay. So, and, and that's, uh, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense uh, because if, if a company loses its license, it essentially loses its ability to conduct its core business. So if that does happen, if a license is revoked um, or not renewed as a result of these proposed regulatory changes, um, what, what specific sort of creditors' rights get triggered under, um, under these debt documents? Sure. So, I mean, the, the, so one of the biggest potential issues is just that uh, loss of a license or other regulatory changes might cause an event of default under uh, some of these companies' credit agreements. So, you know, each of Wynn, MGM, and SANS have their, their U.S. operations, and then they each own a chunk, you know, usually between 55 and 70-some percent of the Macau operations. And the, at, at each level, these companies have credit agreements, and they also have notes. So, at the Macau entity level, um, each of these companies has a potential event of default if they lose their license, certainly, or even if even if their operations are are just substantially affected. Um, there's events of default under these credit agreements saying that if the you know basically if the company is not able to operate its business in substantially the same manner that it has done in the past. Um, an event of default could be triggered. So that's you know a significant issue at the Macau level. Uh, in addition, at the Macau level, each of these companies, MGM, Wynn, and SANS, uh, have issued notes. And in all of these notes, there is a put option where, again, if the company is not able to operate its business in substantially the same manner as it has in the past, the note holders have the option to put their notes to the company uh, at par, essentially requiring the company to completely repay the note. So, you know, either one of these things could have significant uh, effects on, on the Macau level entities, which could sort of, you know, which would then affect their, their U.S. parents. Um, you know, there's at the U.S. entity level, there are, fewer issues. Um, the, the, the SANS, uh, SANS, for example, in their, uh, in their U.S. credit agreement has, has sort of carved out their Macau business. And so they're able to avoid event of default issues. Um, Win, though, specifically under their credit agreement, includes a, a license revocation as an event of default. And included in the definition of license revocation is, is not just, you know, getting their license revoked because they, they don't get a renewal, but also potentially the naming of a government supervisor could, could be a trigger there. So Wynn has some, some real issues. Um, MGM at their U.S. level, fortunately, uh, fortunately for them, also sort of avoids the issue there because, um, because they don't have... Uh, uh, an, an event of default trigger, or even a material adverse effect event of default trigger, uh, based on you know this sort of change, but um, you know it, it's it, it's it's really potentially a big deal for these companies, both at their Macau levels, but also at their at their U.S. levels. Right. Okay. Well, that's really interesting. You know, I, I think that when I first looked at this story, I expected that. Uh, 
license revocation would have been the relevant trigger to sort of um, cause all of these consequences that would give rise to, to creditor rights like acceleration. But it sounds like it could be something short of that. Like you said, the appointment of a supervisor um, or just a general sort of uh, impairment of the company's ability to conduct business operations as usual uh, that, that might give rise to these kinds of events of default. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think you're exactly right. And that's part of what's so uh, interesting and also I think bedeviling about this situation is, you know, it, it's clear that if there's a license revocation, that's going to be a huge deal for these companies that will certainly trigger events of default under um, the Macau level credit agreements. It will certainly trigger a put option under the Macau level notes. But, but the part of it that gets really tricky is no one really knows what other regulatory changes may, may happen. You know, we have there, there's things that are being discussed, but what's going to happen is is unclear. Um, and, and once you get into other types of changes, you know, whether or not that's going to trigger an issue under the debt documents becomes uh, much more interesting, but also much more fuzzy. Right. Okay. And also, well, you mentioned that when um, has a trigger that's tied to the appointment of a supervisor, which makes them probably especially susceptible to what's happening in Macau right now. But of, of these names that you cover, Sands, Wynn, and MGM, um, which do you think, if you, you know, if you had to pick, which of these have the most exposure to the current situation? Well, Wynn and MGM have more exposure at the U.S. levels uh, under their debt documents. So Wynn in particular, because they they have the um, the event of default at their U.S. level credit agreement that could be triggered by a by a license revocation. But it's also worth just noting that uh, that the Sands Company sold off all of its Las Vegas properties back in March, and so now it is relying purely on Singapore and Macau. Uh, and so you know any effects to its Macau business are going to be amplified now that they no longer have their Vegas business to offset it. Right. Okay. So it sounds like Wynn has a bit more of the legal slash contractual risk, uh, whereas as, as Sands um, has more sort of pure business risk and not that, and that they're now sort of fully concentrated in that region. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Jeff, this has been really interesting. Um, and I know that our subscribers have been really focused on this issue. Um, thanks for joining us and uh, look forward to, or look forward to having you on the podcast again. Yeah, my pleasure. Good, good to talk to you. Okay. Take care. Thank you again for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review. Find all of our podcasts on the reorg.com webinars and podcast page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Amazon. Hope your families are healthy and safe. Have a great weekend and see you next Friday.